0: Jesus desires that his church be the waiting church. He desires that his church, the sum total of all believers of all time, be the church that waits in eager expectation for the culmination of all things. That day when Jesus, the risen and ascended Lord, the King of kings, the righteous judge will return to enact the resurrection from the dead. Jesus desires that his church wait and eagerly wait for that day. And if Jesus desires that his church eagerly waits for that day, that that means you and I, as members of his church, are the ones who are eagerly waiting, right? The entire life of the Christian can be summed up as one that has lived between the now and the not yet. Let me explain what I mean. At this very moment right now, we enjoy all of the benefits of the arrow pointing down love of God that he has poured out in our hearts We enjoy the full and free forgiveness of sins. We enjoy a right relationship with our God. We enjoy the gospel, the very power of God that has so transformed us into new creatures, creatures who love to serve and worship God with our words and our actions, creatures who love to serve and worship God right here this morning with our worship and our praise. And all of that right now points us forward to the things not yet, the things that will come. As Christians, we eagerly anticipate the day that Jesus will return to bring about the resurrection from the dead. That day when the image of God will be fully restored in us and we will live in the perfection of heaven and in a perfect relationship with our God forever and ever. We eagerly anticipate the resurrection from the dead because it's on that day that we will be reunited not only with all of the loved ones that we have lost who died in faith before us, but with all believers of all time and stand before the throne of God, worshiping him day and night in his temple. This is the day, the day that we eagerly anticipate as Christians who live between the now and the not yet. But there's a lot of uncertainty, right, about the not yet. And this morning, Jesus, he tells us a parable about what the not yet will be like. He tells us a parable about what it will be like when he comes, when he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And through this parable, Jesus seeks to teach us a valuable lesson. He seeks to teach us that right here, right now, we need to be preparing our hearts for that day's coming. Because as he explains, once he does come, there's no more time for preparation. In Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus has been spending a lot of time with his disciples on Tuesday of Holy Week, commonly known as Teaching Tuesday. This is three days before Jesus ascends on the cross and offers his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And what Jesus is doing in Matthew 24 and 25 is preparing his disciples, not just for what is going to come in three days, but for what is going to come after he dies and rises and ascends. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24 Uh, gives them what the signs of the end of the age are going to be like. And then he says, because nobody knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man will return, we must therefore, as his disciples, both the disciples in the first century and as us, as 21st century disciples, we need to watch. We need to constantly be watching for that day to come. And then in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this parable of the ten virgins to show them how we need to be prepared for that day that the Apostle Paul called in our first reading, or that said in our first reading, this day that will come like a thief in the night. Let's look at what Jesus said in the first half of this parable in Matthew chapter 25. If you want to follow along in your service folders, this is on page nine. Jesus said, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. One of the most important things that we have to do as Christians when we read one of Jesus' parables, this earthly story that Jesus uses to explain the deep things of God or heavenly things, One of the things that we must do is to figure out what this parable is talking about, right? And who the characters of this parable are. Well, this whole parable is about the second coming of Jesus and what the kingdom of heaven will be like. This is what how Jesus starts that parable. And quite clearly, the bridegroom in this parable, the one who is a long time in coming, that's Jesus. Right? That's the easy thing to figure out in this parable. The thing that is more difficult to figure out is is who are these ten virgins, right? Who are they referring to? Now a virgin, it's like a It'd be like what we consider a bridesmaid today. The, their sole purpose was to, was, to honor and, uh, was to honor the bridegroom and the bride at their wedding. So think of it like a bridesmaid, right? But who were they? And who is Jesus talking about with them? Because in this, with these uh, bridesmaids or virgins, you have five who were foolish, five who didn't see any need to prepare, and they just simply brought their lamps to go out and wait for the bridegroom. And then you have five wise virgins, five wise ones who thought ahead enough to prepare, to not only grab their lamps, but to also grab oil. Now, commonly in Scripture, when it's talking about Judgment Day or the second coming of Jesus, there are usually two groups of people who are mentioned, right? Who are they? Believers and unbelievers, right? Believers are the ones who wait in eager expectation for the coming of Jesus. Unbelievers are the ones who either don't give a lick about Jesus' second coming or are completely ignorant. And it'd be easy to read this parable on a surface level and to say, well, the wise ones, the wise virgins, they're the believers. And the unwise or the foolish virgins are the unbelievers. But I don't think, I don't think that that's correct. Because look at how the virgins are lumped together. When Jesus introduces them, there's just one group. And this group is all together waiting for something or rather someone. For whom are they waiting? They're waiting for the bridegroom. They're waiting for Jesus to return. So, in this parable, Jesus isn't addressing both believers and unbelievers. He is addressing believers, he's addressing Christians. He has all of you in mind when he tells this parable. And the point he is trying to get across is that when it comes to the last day, when it comes to his return, there will be a group of people, a group of Christians who are wise and who have faithfully prepared for the second coming. And there will be a group of people who are believers in this life who were not wise, and who shirked their preparation, and who in the end will be shut out. One of the hardest things for us as Christians, for a people who live between the now and the not yet, is the waiting, isn't it? Don't we wish that we could know the day that Jesus is going to return? Don't you think that would help us in some way, shape, or form to know that this is the day when Jesus is going to come, and this will help us in our preparation? But God doesn't like, make us privy to that information, and so we must wait. But waiting can produce a whole lot of frustration, can't it? And I also think that waiting, if you let it, can cause some detrimental problems with your faith. Namely, waiting can cause, if you're not careful, a lazy and lethargic faith. And I see this lazy and lethargic faith um, manifesting itself in two different attitudes. The first attitude is, well, I don't really need to prepare right now. I can prepare later, maybe even the day that Jesus comes. That's when I'll start my preparation. I would call this spiritual procrastination. A spiritual procrastinator is the kind of person who knows the very way that God wants them to live, right? They know that God calls them to live as a redeemed, restored, forgiven child of God. They know that they are to live as children of the light in a world that is dark. But living as a child of the light in a world that is dark is difficult. It's not easy. Because on a daily basis, you are bombarded with a a plethora of sinful pleasures that are seeking to get your attention. And God calls us to live as children of the light and to say no to those sinful pleasures and to say yes to him. But when the allure of an easy sinful life takes root in your heart, the spiritual procrastinator says, All right, well, maybe I will do these things that my sinful nature wants today and I'll push procrastination off just a few days or till next Sunday or to next month or till next year. The spiritual procrastinator kind of adopts this eat, drink, and be merry lifestyle thinking, well, I'll do these things today. And then tomorrow I'll amend my sinful ways and repent. In other words, I will turn away from my sin and turn back to Jesus. They look at this lifestyle that they're adopting as this very temporary thing. But the problem is that what starts out as temporary doesn't always stay temporary. And that procrastination that you kept kicking down the road keeps getting kicked further and further and further until it doesn't happen at all. This is spiritual procrastination. The other way I see this lazy and lethargic faith manifesting itself in the life of believers is, is the attitude that says, I'm prepared enough. This is what I would call spiritual complacency. A spiritually complacent person is, is the kind of person who has spent a, maybe their whole lives being a child of God, They've spent a lot of time in church growing in the grace and knowledge of their Lord Jesus Christ. They spent for a good portion of their lives a a, an amount of time devotionally in the Word of God. But they reach a certain point where the things that they hear on a Sunday and the stuff they are reading in their personal devotional life kind of becomes old hat. And they think, Well, I already know these things. I'm already prepared enough. But the problem is when you become spiritually complacent and you stop preparing, the things you already have stored up for yourself. In your preparation, they become stale and old. And when when you stop preparing your faith through regular access to the word of God, well, your faith becomes stagnant. And when your faith becomes stagnant, it is no longer living and active. And when your faith is no longer living and active, then it is no longer growing. And when your faith ceases to grow, there are voids in the confines of your heart. And if your faith is not growing to fill those voids, well, then something, namely sin, will step in to fill them. This is what happens to a person who is spiritually complacent. And both to those who are spiritually complacent and those who are spiritual procrastinators, Jesus shows us what will happen on the last day. Look, at, look with me at what he says in the last half of this parable. Starting at verse 6 on page 9. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they replied, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. That's stark, isn't it? The thing that happens in that parable. These foolish bridesmaids who either pushed off their preparation or thought that they were prepared enough suddenly find themselves in one heck of a predicament because the bridegroom has arrived and they no longer have oil to keep their lamps lit. And so they try to get oil from the wise virgins, but the wise virgins, if they share their oil, then then they won't have enough to greet the bridegroom and honor him in, in the way that they should. And so then they go and try to buy oil from someone else, but while they are buying it, the bridegroom ushers in the wise virgins and he shuts the door. And now they're completely out, and the bridegroom says, I don't even know you. Here's the point Jesus is making there will come a time when there is no more time to prepare, there will come a time when there is no more time to believe. On the last day, just being in the right company. Of people won't mean a lick. All those bride, all those virgins, they were all together, but only five of them were saved. There will come a time when relying on the faith of others on the last day won't be enough, right? They, these wise uh, bridesmaids they had oil, and the foolish ones tried to use their oil, but they couldn't. They weren't allowed. There will, on the last day, the right intentions when Jesus returns won't be enough. These these foolish virgins they go and they. They try to buy oil, but when they come back, they find out what? That the door is shut. On the last day, on the last day, relying on Jesus' promise to not snuff out the smoldering wick or break the bruised reed won't be enough because what happens when that reed is finally broken and that wick is finally snuffed out and the door is shut? We can stand out and call to Jesus, Lord, Lord, open it for us. But all he'll say is, I don't know you. And all of a sudden, the God of second chances is gone. And the God that we say, whenever he shuts one door, opens a window, has shut all doors and windows and pulled the shades. This is a harsh parable, isn't it? It's not one that my sinful nature particularly likes to hear. And I'm assuming that yours doesn't either. It's a very judgmental parable from Jesus. It's one that our world would would shiver at because we're supposed to live in this judgment-free zone. But, The harshness and the judgmental nature of this parable are the point because Jesus needs to call us out of our spiritual procrastination and our complacency and our lethargy when it comes to faith. Because Jesus, he wants to be far more than some guy on the horizon that you always intend to get to know, know, that you'll get around to him eventually. No, Jesus wants to be the one that you have a relationship with, not later, but right now. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you by faith a God-given faith, a faith that trusts in him alone to be your Savior. Jesus doesn't want to be the, the kind of friend that you just call as a last-ditch effort to get you out of a jam, one that, one that you call to just help you when you have a problem. Jesus wants to be the one that you always rely on, the one that you always trust, the one that you always turn to when you have a, any problem whatsoever, the one that you trust as a Savior alone. Jesus doesn't want to just simply be an afterthought in your life. Jesus wants to be the only thought of your heart, and your mind, and your soul. He wants to be the only bridegroom. He wants to be the only Savior. He wants to be the only one that you turn to day after day after day. Jesus wants to be the only one that has and that is winning you into life, a life that you had no concept existed, a life that you could have never dreamed of. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you right now, not just on the last day. I know that this parable is harsh, and I know that it is judgmental. But behind this harsh and judgmental parable is the loving hand of our Savior and the beautiful truth of what he did for us and what he wants from us. Behind this parable is the, the one telling this parable is the one who lived and died for you. Behind this parable is the one who desires that all men come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. That includes you. I know that we've spent a lot of time in this parable talking about those foolish, unprepared virgins. But they weren't the only ones there that day, were they? There were wise ones there as well. The ones who took the time to prepare, who brought oil along with their lamps, who sat there and with their lamps with newly filled oil and greeted the bridegroom and honored him, the the wise virgins who were ushered into the wedding feast. And though this parable is harsh, You can all take a a sigh of relief with me this morning and rejoice because by the grace of God, you are those wise virgins. You can rejoice because by the grace of God, you have a relationship with Jesus. You already know him. He is already part of your heart and your mind and your life. You can rejoice that the grace of God caused him to spill the blood of the lamb, the one telling this parable to you. And that this blood completely covers over your sins, even the sins of lethargy and procrastination and complacency when it comes to your faith. They are sins for which you are forgiven, sins that God remembers no more. By God's grace, you can rejoice that he has made you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You can rejoice that God gives you the confidence of faith to live and stand between the now and the not yet and eagerly anticipate the day when the bridegroom will will arrive and that you will have enough oil in your lamps to properly greet him and to be ushered in to the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is cause for all of us to rejoice, that you are these wise virgins. And since you are all wise, God calls each and every one of us to a task. He says, while we live between the now and the not yet, we are to watch. After Jesus tells this parable, he says, Watch therefore, for no one knows the day or the hour. We are to make sure that our lamps are constantly filled with oil so that we can be prepared to receive the bridegroom when he comes. And the way that you keep your lamp filled with oil is constant access to the means of grace, the gospel in word and sacrament. Keeping your lamps filled with oil is is ensuring that you are daily spending time in the word of God. Keeping your lamps filled with oil is is coming to Bible class to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Keeping your lamps filled with oil means coming to worship on a Sunday morning to offer your thankfulness and praise to the God who lived and died for you. Keeping your lamps filled with oil is receiving the sacrament that we are about to take in a few minutes in which Jesus gives you his body and blood, the things that won for you, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life and strengthens your faith and points you forward to that great feast that we will celebrate with Jesus. This is what it means to keep your lamps filled with oil. And at this point, you're probably saying, all right, pastor, you tell me this all the time. I need to be in the word of God. But why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the more time that you spend in the word of God, the more convinced you are of the deep truths of God that he reveals there. The more time that you spend in the word of God, the deeper your relationship with Jesus grows. And the deeper that your relationship with Jesus grows, the more fervent your daily walk with Jesus becomes. And the more fervent your daily walk with Jesus becomes, the more likely you are to be able to say no to sin and to say yes to Jesus. The more time that you spend in the word of God, the more you are able to recognize the complete and utter brokenness of this world and that the world has absolutely nothing to offer you. And that even the things it tries to offer you pale in comparison to the joys and the perfect bliss of heaven that is waiting for you. It is through the word of God. It is through the word of God that God makes you wise. It is through the word of God that your relationship with your Savior grows. It is through the word of God that your God equips you to be a watcher. What a beautiful truth that is. Friends, with, with me, keep preparing. Keep preparing your hearts and keep watching because Jesus will come soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and bring us home to be with you. Amen.